Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another special edition of the Cathedral of Sports podcast. By myself and the right reverend and Edinburgh's favourite bon vivant, Bobby Love. How are you, Bob? <laughs> Thank you very much for that kind introduction, Ash. Uh, yes, I'm okay. Could do with it being a little cooler, but um, that's what we get for living in Scotland in the sun coming out. Yeah, a bit humid outside, mate. A bit humid. Well, guys, you're in for a treat today as we've got on former Millwall, Sheffield United, and Stevenage footballer Mark Beard as our special guest today. Mark, how's life treating you, mate? Yeah, very good. Like Bob just said, though, very hot, mate. Just in my bedroom, isn't it? Just sweating. <laughs> just so hot down here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been hot up here as well. We've had, we've had like horrific thunderstorms and stuff like that, but hopefully the cooler air is coming now. It's just unbearable. I couldn't even go out of the house today. Anyway, Mark, let's, let's get on with the show. I mean, not, not everyone wants to listen about the weather. They want to hear you, mate. So tell, tell us how it started, Mark, your youth career. With with Millwall, you know your boyhood club. How'd that all come about? How'd you get spotted by by Millwall at such a young age? Yeah, I was um, I was actually at Wimbledon um, when Wimbledon was in the old first division in the top flight, and I was at Wimbledon from the age of six to fourteen when someone spotted me playing for them and invited me down to Millwall. Now at the time it was a big decision because I'd lived in Wimbledon in the area. I've been there a long time. But also, all my family was from South London, all from Bermondsey, Millwall fans. And uh, I decided to, to go across to Millwall. And it's the best thing I ever did because I had a fantastic team, fantastic coaching, Tom Wally. Managed to get um, a scholarship, two-year scholarship, and um, just went from there, really. But, I mean, it was the best best club I think I could have been at at that time. It was one of the best teams in the country. Um, did really well in the Youth Cups produce loads of players for the first team and give um, a lot of players, local young South London boys, uh, a good career in the game. Just to mention the, the, the Youth Cup there, Mark, uh, just doing some research uh, earlier on today and I noticed that you um, beat a rather decent Manchester United team back in the day. Yeah, we did. We had an unbelievable cup run. Um, we did well in the leagues, we did well in all the cups, but the Youth Cup is is like the it's the best moment of any under-18s um, career. And we had a really good cup run. Played Nottingham Forest in the quarterfinals. Uh, ended up getting Man United um, over two legs in the semi-final. Now, back then, you didn't know how a lot about them. We just read in a paper that it was called the Fergie Babes. There's going to be a new generation of Man United players. But obviously, didn't know how good they actually were. So we went up there, there, Beckham, Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, Keith Gillespie, Ben Thornley. Uh, they had just an unbelievable team. But went up to Old Trafford and um, even though we went 1-0 down, we come back on 1-2-1, one, one, um, beat them there. Um, and in the second leg, we had probably our best centre forward out, Mark Kennedy, who missed the game. Um, and we lost the second leg 2-0. But I think if we did have Mark playing in that game, we would have actually gone on to... Um, do, do the double over them and get into the final but um, yeah it's an unbelievable experience especially to beat Man United at Old Trafford and one, one me and the boys will never forget Wow um, Mark when you signed when you signed your pro forms uh, with Millwall was it Mick McCarthy the manager? Yeah Mick was the manager so um, wasn't nothing fancy he called me in just I, I was a captain of the Millwall team as well and I'd had a good season he came in and just said like listen you'll be on basic wage 150 quid a week one year contract um, got a lot of good players ahead of you in your position as a right back you've got Kenny Cunningham uh, me and Dawes could play there Richard Huxford 
So he said um, it might chuck games maybe um, it's going to be hard for you to get in so you may have to go on loan so I went away that summer most players just go on holiday for six weeks I trained and trained and got the fittest I could be just to sort of prove him wrong because even though he gave me a year contract I, I was thinking in the back of the mind he don't really fancy me but um, so I come in and um, he gave me my year contract I say and worked really hard to get in the first team and made my debut in uh, in the September when I was still only 18 in the championship so, as a, as a long-suffering Ipswich sympathiser as I am, um, obviously, we, I piqued my interest when you said Mick McCarthy there. What was it like playing in the Mick? He was brilliant, mate. Um, to be fair, it was his first job um, as a manager. It's because he was a player with us before. Um, and Bruce Riott got the sack and Mick McCarthy took over as player manager. So, it's his first job. So, as a player, it was unbelievable to You'd never meet an, anyone who's uh, who want to win a football game so much. Anything, whether it's in training, whether it's obviously a game, he wanted to win so badly, and he, he took that across into his management style. And it was great to play for. Obviously, in his first role, like he he found it probably hard to. We had a few good ex pros there, like your Terry Alox, Gavin Maguire's, Pat Vanden Howe, and probably hard to manage. So. To be fair, he done well. Like coming as his first job managing people like that, who are absolute head cases. But um, he did well. I think his time at Mill come a bit sour at the end when he'd already taken the island job, and um, he continued to stay with Mill and he ended up getting relegated. But um, I had gone by then, so in my time with him was absolutely brilliant. I loved him. Mark, gonna gonna talk about that FA Cup game, uh, which which must have been surely the highlight of your Millwall career. What was it like walking out in front of 40,000 people nearly at Highbury uh, on, under the lights, FA Cup replay? Not, not, even, not even just doing that, but going on to score yourself and win the game at Highbury against Arsenal with players like David Seaman, Adams, you know, all the, all the superstars, basically. Yeah, it was the, they was known as um, one of the best defences ever to play in, in English football with Dixon, Adams, Keown, Bold. Uh, Winterburn and obviously Seaman in goal so uh, they had that famous song didn't they 1-0 to the Arsenal to score against them was like unbelievable but we the, going into the game we felt no pressure really um, Arsenal at the time obviously a top 3-4 team uh, going to Highbury no one was expecting us to win and us got the first goal after 11 minutes and sort of put, uh, took the pressure off us really and for the rest of the game the pressure was on them and we just had to defend and we kept hitting them on a counter I could have scored another um, and then late on, Mark Kennedy got a second, to, so we won 2-0. But looking back at the game, I watched it a million times and um, <laughs> it, it was a fantastic game. Unbelievable moment of score. I had so many friends and family there. Um, 6,000 mil wall there as well. So to grow up as a mill fan and then to go score um, one of the winning goals against one of the best teams in the country and one of the best stadiums in the world, it was, it was just an unforgettable experience. Bit. Good knees up afterwards. I can imagine down Bermondsey, down the blue and places like that. <laughs> yeah, no, mate. To be fair, all the boys went out, the older ones. I was knackered and I just went home. And I, oh, you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to go home and watch Match of the Day because I got interviewed after the game. So I was only a young kid and I just I, I just felt that this, I didn't want to ruin my memory of such a great night by going and get drunk and then forgetting about it the next day. So I just remember the next day, woke up and I was going to my girlfriend's at the time. Um, I had to get a train across from South London over to West London. And just I was on the back page of every single and front page of every single paper because we was the only replay that night. 
So there's pictures of me and people reading papers, and it's just a little bit surreal. A 20-year-old from South London who's, at the time, was on probably on 250 quid a week. I'm on the back and front page of the national press everywhere. Wow. So when you were saying there, you were on the back page of every paper, when you were travelling, were people kind of sitting and pointing at you, this is the boy in the newspaper, or was it just kind of still nice and calm? Had you managed no, to come down for the game? Yeah, no, a couple of kids, actually. Um, I was at Wimbledon train station and a couple of kids come up to me and like said, oh, I can have your autograph. You was, you're the player who scored against Arsenal last night. So at the time, Arsenal were a big team and a lot of, they weren't really Chelsea then, or a lot of the um, young kids were Arsenal fans because they they'd, they was like a really good team. So um, uh, DM Wright, obviously, is one of their top, top players. And uh, yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of school kids recognise me, yeah. What's... Uh... Was that the the highlight of your Millwall career then, Mark? Yeah, I had loads loads of great memories there. That, I mean, obviously, people remember that, and from me because I scored. But we had the two Chelsea games after that, the one at the Den, and then the replay where we beat them at Stamford Bridge, which was unbelievable. We had then again QPR in the fifth round game, which was a tough, tough game. Um, had Nottingham Forest in the quarterfinals of the uh, League Cup. And at the time, there was a second in the league. They had players like Stan Collymore, Stuart Pearce, Brian Roy, Steve Stone. And we beat them 3-1 up Forest in the Cup. So there's there's a few other games where you just think, like, there's, um, like looking back, great memories, playing against top players, top internationals, and um, going and turning them over as little underdogs. Your next transfer was to Sheffield United. Uh, Dave Bassett signed you there. How did that come about? I mean, how hard was that leaving your boyhood club? And how did that transfer come about? Uh, if Did you want to finish your career at Millwall? Or did you see a future at Millwall? Or, you know, was it just the right time in your career just to take that step to another club? It was probably one later regretted. Um, again, only 20, didn't have an agent or anything. And it all come about on the Saturday before the transfer. I wasn't playing. I wasn't picked for the first game of the season. Um, and I'll I had the ump, obviously, and I was walked up to the stands. As I was walking up the stands, there was an agent called Barry Silkman. Uh, he's a famous ex-player himself and a real big agent. And um, he said to me, why aren't you playing? And I just said, oh, I don't know. God knows. Just, he just said, I'm not playing. He played Mickey Bennett ahead of me. Um, and I just said, I don't know. I was pissed off. And then next thing, um, Monday morning, what, what was happening at the same time, Silky was doing a deal for uh, Kevin Muscat from Australia, to Sheffield United, but he didn't get a visa. So the deal fell through. So on that Monday morning, Silky rung me and goes, would you be interested in going to Sheffield United? And I was like, what do you mean? And he, just, and he said, like, he's laughed a right back and he really likes you. The season before against Sheffield United, I, at the Dem, I played in midfield and one man a match and at Sheffield United, I actually scored. So the two times I played Sheffield United, Harry obviously had a good impression of me. Um, so he said, like, I'll really be keen. So then, Obviously, I said, I'm not sure. Next thing, Sheffield United put a bid in for me. Mick accepted it, um, rung me up and said, we've accepted a bid. And for me, that was a bit of a knife in the heart because it, me, it was a club that I loved and loved being there. Um, and for them to accept a bid, that sort of said to me, like, wow, he, he don't really want me. So I went up and talked to Harry, went up with my dad, drove up the M1, went to Sheffield and was blown away by the size of it. I mean, I just couldn't. I, even though I played there and scored, when you go play away games, you don't realise the history and the tradition of the club and the players there. Tony Curry come and met me. Um, and just the pure size of the club, I felt it was a, 
step up from Millwall, even though at the time Millwall were probably a better team. Um, and it, it was it was done and dusted within like a couple of hours. And I had agreed to sign, done the contract. Um, the next thing I was travelling back home to to London, and the deal had been done. Um, I had one day to get my bags together, go to the training ground, get my stuff from Millwall, and start a new life in Sheffield. Um, Twenty years old and um, uh, a fresh new challenge. So you were saying there about how you kind of came across the agent. Um, they get quite a lot of bad press um, currently. And it kind of almost sounds as though without that agent, you might not have made the move or it might not have been as smooth. What are the kind of benefits of having, especially when you're that young as well, the benefits of having an agent to not having one? It's tough because um, there's so many rogue agents out there. The best ones are the ones that you build up relationships over the years um, or played with or played against. I mean, Silky was a good guy. Um, and the, the best thing for agents is sometimes these moves happen when you're not least expecting it like then. And it's an agent just by chance bumping into a player. Um, if I didn't see Silky on that Saturday, that move would never have happened and my life would have been completely different. So um, if it weren't for him, that wouldn't have happened. So there, there, there are benefits to them. There are so many though and there's um, a lot of, as, as you say, bad ones. So trying to find the good ones are few and far between. But um, as I say, for me, that helped me massively. What was it like, Mark, being a southerner in a northern dressing room? Did you get a bit get a bit of stick for that, mate? Or Not really, because Harry had about 20 Cockneys up there, didn't he? So he brought always our Wimbledon <laughs> lot. All the coaching staff, Wally Downs, Harry, Jeff Taylor, Derek French. Everyone was from London. Then he had players, Brian Gale, Glenn Hodges, Kevin Gage. Uh, it was just littered with Londoners, so... I was just literally going up to become um, another note. It's like being in Benidorm when you just got loads of English in Spain. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> so, obviously, you've moved up to Sheffield. Uh, you're playing under Dave Bassett. You hear so many stories about him over the years. What exactly is he like? Harry was good. I mean, it had come at a time they'd been relegated from the Premier League. They failed at the first attempt to get up. So, he's under a bit of pressure to get him up. Um, and he signed me in uh, September, I think. And then by the end of October, he had gone. So I played about 10 games for him and he, he got the sack blessing. But um, he was a motivator. He ruled by um, getting players to play for him, run through brick walls. He always seemed to get good characters. But the, my time with him, he just had a bit of a bad run. And uh, you could just see it was the end. It was... <laughs> We had 10 games where we won a couple, lose a couple, and uh, he didn't lose the dressing room or anything, but you could just see that the board were fed up with him and ended up getting rid of him and brought in Howard Kendall. What was it like playing under Howard Kendall? It was really highly regarded. Uh, it was at Everton as well. So what what was that like, Mark? He's the best How man. His coaching and stuff like that and his man management and, yeah. and donor. He's best man. He's the best man manager I had. He's just unbelievable. And you, you, I don't know if you've seen the Howard Howard's way the documentary about him um, and just talking about top world-class players like singing his praises saying he's the best manager you play for what he did he had no secret form other than the fact that he got players to play for him he got characters in the dressing room that I wouldn't say the coaching was world-class like a pet where he done things tactically here and there he just got good players to play for him who 
He managed players well. You go in having the raving up going, I'm going to go in and meet him because I didn't play Saturday. You go in, he's sitting in a pair of underpants, offers you a drink of whiskey, um, has a quick chat and just says, no, 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 don't worry about that. You're playing tomorrow. So you go in there wanting to like steam into him and you go out thinking he's the best man in the world. He's like, you just <laughs> want to give him a cuddle. He was unbelievable. But he's social. He, he plans social events all the time. I would, it'd be interesting to see how this type of character would... Um, like how you're doing this day and age but I look at Chris Wilder and I can see similarities where he's like he gets players to play for him and they're characters they're probably not the best players in the Premier League but they would do anything for him and he still loves a beer and a night out and a social but um, <laughs> he still gets the best out of them on the day so that was what how it was like and he's just an amazing guy So from that how do you think a man manager would work nowadays it's a bit like that because you hear about Pep Guardiola Jurgen Klopp, and it's kind of like the absolute minutiae to everything to the to the kind of letter. And then you have guys like, obviously, older guys like Howard Kendall's, these type of people, who are all man managers. Do you have to have a mix? Do you have to just be totally focused? What do you reckon? I think Klopp's got it to a T. He's the best. He's You can see he does socialise with the boys. He, it's getting that balance right. To be a good manager, you've got to evolve, you've got to change to say like oh I'm gonna do it like 80 years ago you can't do it now because the players are different like the the way of the way of the world's different to what it was in the 80s 90s when I was playing so you have to uh, keep adapting and I think Klopp is he's the best at that he just the idea is for me as an under-18s manager is to develop players but to get the best out of them and to get them ready for a world of professional football if I was a first team manager I'll do exactly the same I'll make them you get in that balance right of you need to be let them know that you're the boss, but also give them a little bit of ownership. Also, be um, time, knowing when it's time to have their nights out. It can't be if it's hundred percent football, 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 football all the time. You won't get the best out of them, and they get tired. As I think Klopp, he's got it. He looks spot on and studying his methods and what he does, like him and Pep and, and for English coaches, Chris Wilder. You got to look up to them and say they've been unbelievable. Mark, you're. Next move was to Southend. I'm going to talk about Southend because it's a it's a club really close to my heart. Um, so I'm really interested in this in this part of the interview. Uh, my nan was my who was my hero in life was a Southend fan all her life until um, so she died at the age of 80. So the the club and the, the the town are very very close to my heart. How how did that move come about? Sheffield United Southend. Sheffield United at, at the time were a bigger team than Southend. Apart from Southend's early run in the in the early 90s where well, they've done quite well, then they sort of slipped off a bit. Was it was it injury or anything like that is why you went to Southend or was it just you wanted to come back down south and be near her family and things like that? Um, I've got... The, what we did, I was one in the team when Kendall left and Nigel Spackman's manager. So Southend come in for me on loan. So I did an initial two-month loan period and I didn't do very well at the start, um, but by the second month, I've grew into it and started joining. We was in League One um, and at Christmas, Alvin Martin was a manager and said to me, I would like to sign you permanently into the year. At the time, I didn't know whether that would be a good move for me. I mean, other clubs come in for me, Brentford and Notts County, but at the same time, I was expecting, my wife was expecting twins um, in the March. So what we did want to be is up in Sheffield, away from family with twins and me being at football all the time and my wife struggling. So, um, Brentford deal didn't happen then Southend come back in for me and decided to go um, signed a two year deal with Alvin Martin 
they've just been relegated from league to from League One to League Two, so there's on a bit of a downward slope. But they sold it to me that they was going to build a new ground at the current training ground, which they're still trying to do <laughs> five years later, uh, <laughs> and um, that they wanted to go up first year. So. I signed with some good other players like Rob Newman come in and Barry Conlon. It's a good players, but um, yeah, that was, so it's the start of the adventure and that's how it come about. So, by the way, the, the, the new grounds thing's still going on. Ron Martin apparently has done a deal and struck a deal with the council, but we'll, uh, we'll not hold him to that. Anyway, uh, Bob's got a question. Now, that one. How are the fans uh, at South End, Mark? Yeah, I love them, mate. I had a great relationship with them. Um, always, I only play one way. I always give 100%. So even if I was having a bad game myself, I'd still go go around rattling people and getting stuck in and shouting at other players to get them going. But um, yeah, I had, I had a good relationship. In my first year, I won player of, the, um, player of the Year, which was voted for by the fans. Um, and in my second year, I thought I did really well again. But um just seemed to struggle like, with managers Alvin Martin and Brian Little come in, whoever they brought in, um, just didn't really have, uh, um, not luck, but they didn't have that now, really, of getting their team out of League Two. There's great guys, good coaches, but it's a tough division to get out of League Two. And um, I think you see it when clubs go down, um, so like from Championship, from the first division back down to the second, it's very, very tough to get, get out of that hole. Why do you think that is? Um, again, it goes back to the Howard Kendall it, about knowing players. You look um, like my son plays with Dawkins Wanderers, and the rise they've had for the years is the manager. He, he's he's not a coach. He, he preaches he's not a coach. He's a chairman and manager. But what he does, he gets players to get out of that division. He always works out the first year. So this year at Conference South, for example, they've just made the playoffs. Um, they they didn't get through, but he now knows what players he needs to get out of this division. So. It's a very fine skill that, um, and whether it's a manager um, who's a very good coach, he then needs a good recruitment team. And I think that's the key thing. And you find a lot of these clubs, um, and you look at Northampton this year, didn't have the biggest budget, didn't, no one expecting us to do anything. But Keith Kerr and his team got them through them playoffs and got them up the league because of um, the players he's got. He's just got a great dressing room and, um, and they run through brick walls with each other and get them out and probably win games that they shouldn't win. Mark, next stop, Stevenage. Did the club there attract you through their ambition to get into the Football League? Yeah, I I actually played in Spain for two years after South End, and um, when I was in Spain, I just done my second season, started my third season and uh Mark Stimson wrong me. He had just started the season. They've got an unbelievable players like Steve Guppy, Steve Morrison, George Boyd, Barry Fuller, John Nurse. Had a real good um, good set of lads. And he just said they'd lost the first three games though, or something. And he said, I just need someone in midfield to just a bit of experience so to get hold of them a bit because you've got a lot of young kids. Well, you'd be interested. So I come over, did like a week trial sort of thing. Just He just wanted to see if I was fit So I was 32 now. Um, and I come in and done really well and probably had one of the best seasons of my career and one of the most enjoyable. So you say you moved from England to Spain back to England and was that into the non-leagues, did I say? Yeah, yes. so it's conference, yeah. So it, Stephen is in the conference, uh, the conference at the time, but we had an unbelievable season where we just we made the playoffs and we got to the first um, 
FA Trophy final at the New Wembley. We're the first competitive FA final at Wembley. So that's another another great experience for me. Was that bigger than your goal at Highbury? Um, different, really, because it's always, as a kid growing up, all I ever want to do is play at Wembley and win a, win a cup at Wembley, walking up those stairs. It's just one of them things you dream of. You watch all your heroes doing it over the years. Um, so to go and do it at the new Wembley with the new steps, and we was 2-0 down at half-time as well and come back on one three two. Uh, my kids who were eight at the time on mascots, so they both were mascots on the on the new Wembley. Got on telly on live on Sky. So just mate, there was loads of good things. I've sold two hundred tickets. I had about three coaches come down from AWT for I live now, and just just an amazing experience. Because I knew I was getting towards the end of my career, thirty two, thirty three, um, and it's probably my last ever chance to play at Wembley. So just to do that um, at that latter stage of my career was great. So can I ask then, because you're still, still kind of conference level, what kind of differences is there from league to conference? Is there a massive big change? Because um, obviously the pyramid system in Scotland is still kind of adding itself out with the one in England's quite tight and everybody knows how it works. Is it a big massive difference in level of football from, say, league two to conference? Not really, I think. And to be fair, there's probably a little bit more money in some of these conference clubs now because they're desperate to get into the football league. So um, they pay over odds for players and players do drop down that league. So that's why you see in the FA Cup there's so many, I wouldn't call them shot results, but they, the, the shot results like conference teams beating League One or Championship because on their day, they, they could beat anyone. So um, the difference at conference level is whether, one, if they're full-time. If they're not full-time, then they're only training twice a week. Um, and if they're full-time, as if they're doing it properly or they just got young kids in who just, um, they're a cheap option, but they they can class themselves as full-time footballers. But um, there's it's not a big difference at all. I think the jump comes really when you go out of the conference leagues into the um, like Evo stick or the uh, Ryman Premier, whatever it is called now. Carrying on with non-league, Mark, you, st- you stayed stayed in non-league football and as a coach and then you became manager at Tooting and Mitcham. And now our, our listeners who support Tooting uh, really want to hear this story. So you had big boots to fill after Billy Smith and George Wakelin leaving. What were you sold by by the chairman when you when you came to the club? Um, well, what happened was I was at AFC Wimbledon. I just finished there and... Um... The job come up. Um, my brother was actually Chelsea ladies manager at the time, and he was they was playing their games at Tootin. So that's where the connection come. Matty was speaking to Steve Atkins, the chairman, asked if um, we'd be interested in Mark. Sent my CV in, did the interview process like everyone else does, um, and he liked my passion. I think my vision of playing kids. What had happened with Billy leaving, who who'd done absolutely unbelievable with Tootin, they cut the budget um, and cut it in half. So I was coming in really as a young, hungry manager at 36 um, and trying to use my knowledge and contact in the game of getting players on loan and developing young players into the first team. Um, they just sold Mikel Antonio at the time. Uh, Mitchell Nelson was my first deal I had to deal with. He went to Bournemouth. So they had a good hotbed of young talent in, a, in that area. So um, my remit was to keep them up that year, trying to develop young kids. And so I thought it was a great challenge and the one that will hold me in good stead for the rest of my career because there were so many obstacles thrown in my way. Um, and when you come out of play and you think 
oh, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to put all together all the enjoyable sessions I used to like and make the boys enjoy it. But if like not really understanding the whole tactical side of it, and um, it was just a great learning curve for me, and one that, as I say, I still to this day believe is um, the making of me as a coach because I learned so much from it. Well, Tootin fans actually thought, and I thought myself at the time, that you're doing reasonably reasonably well. So, how come you left, Mark? I, you know, all I all I read was that you resigned. And I, I still don't know the, the full reasons as to as to why you left because after that period after you left, Tootin went into free fall for a good number of years until Frank Wilson took over. Yeah. So so how did that come about? Was it a falling out with the chairman or uh, it was my own fault really, mate? What happened was we finished tenth that first year and average age of the squad was twenty one. We had some great players like Reese Hall come through, Jamie Butler, and we had some good young kids, Ken and Mason Hughes, who we got on loan from Mill all the time, done brilliant for us. So what ended up happening the second year, we was in pre-season and again, another agent approached me, um, said, I've got someone who would invest into our um, playing squad. Um, wouldn't cost the chairman anything, it would just invest, but they run an agency, it'd be their players. So I'll run it past Steve. He said yes, said there's going to get me Liam Constantine, who's a great player, Wade Small, he's been at Sheffield Wednesday. Now the problem was that... Um, once these guys come in and they had chats with Steve, it was Les Seeley's son, is it? The old yeah. The Man United kid, yeah. It's his son who was the agent. Um, and what happened overnight was I lost control really, mate. Um, and I went from having a squad of 16, 18 players that I loved and we would do anything for to being told on a Monday morning to pick this team, this player, that player. Um, and would they be voting on who the team's going to be this week? And I'd, I'd lost control and I didn't really like it. Went on a run of games where he lost three in a row. Got told my job was on the... They didn't win the game against Berry away. I, I, would, I was out. Um, I didn't win the game and I was out. So I was sacked. I, was, I, didn't, I, I didn't resign. Um, but it's my own fault. I brought these guys in thinking they're going to bring a lot of money in and help us go out the league. But it didn't work that way. And... Um, they ended up getting in Kenny Brown, who I know really well as well now. Um, yeah. They just had a nightmare because they were bringing in their own players. And there's players that were good, but they was all coming out of Premier League academies and league then championship academies. And at that level, you don't, you, you can't have 10, 11 of them. You can have two or three along with good, experienced um, non-league players. And it, it, as I say, it was my own fault. And um, it's, again, that's why I learned so much because not, not, things like that realising that money don't having all the money in the world don't mean anything because it ended up getting the club relegated absolutely I suppose I would ask then there you've transferred from becoming a player to a manager started off well kind of ended up a bit sour would you you've said it's a good education I mean how much would you really recommend a lot of guys when they retire who want to go into that side of football starting further down the line and then working their way up compared to, say, like your Steven Gerrard or your Frank Lampard to take over big clubs almost immediately? Yeah, it's, listen, it's, I, I, my advice to any coach manager, and I say it to boys on the, coming towards the end of their career, just take any job. It's, a, it's, a, it's whether you're managing a pub team, managing 
um, the lowest step seven team or managing uh, under sixes academy team. It's about experience of trying things, failing with things, trying different formations, seeing what works in training, seeing how your schedules work, seeing if you've got a big budget, what characters you're bringing in, um, having good staff in and around you. That's the key thing. So I've now managed. I've done my first job, obviously, at Tootin. Then I went to Crawley Town as an under-18s manager where we had no money, but we was a League One team. Um, then I went to Loxwood in the County League. And then I went, I've set up my own academy. Then I've been at Brighton's with the 14s, 15s, 16s, 18s, helped out with the 23s. I've managed in Spain. I've coached academy teams in Spain. So I've been all over. I've run pub teams, kids teams, uh, community teams. And all the while, I've picked up experience from every single job. So I see coaches like, and this is no disrespect to Sol Campbell, but he said he's waiting for the right job. But don't worry about that. Just go in. And Stevie Gerrard went in with Liverpool under 16s, first of all. Uh, Frank Lampard did, uh, like Jody Morris, who's with Frank, he's been doing Chelsea 14, 15, 16. Just manage at any level because that's that's the that's the cut, that's where you got to cut your teeth. And uh, that's where you learn a lot from um, and make a lot of mistakes and then learn from them. So between Tootin and where you are as Brighton under 18s coach now, Mark, what happened? What happened between then? You said you, you said you went coaching in Spain and stuff like that. Uh, just tell us a bit more about that. Where where were you in Spain? Uh, Marbella. <laughs> Marbella, oh, night. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I actually went. So I'd, after South End, I went to Kingstonian for a year. I had an unbelievable season with them, uh, where we got to the FA Cup fifth round for a non-league team. It was unreal. Um, but I left and went to San, UD San Pedro, which is in Marbella. Um, again, ended up I was on holiday out in Marbella. Uh, my son was doing a coaching school with Graham Roberts. Just bumped into a Scouse guy called Eddie um, and told me that there's a job going for an international academy manager. They wanted someone to run English-speaking lads um, in the Spanish league. So I went over and met the Scottish president on the Monday or the Tuesday and really got on well with him. He offered me to play for the team, which was in the third division at the time in Andalusian league. And um, when, I, when I played that, before you know it, I was out there. Um, living there and um, my wife and kids moved over and we had two and a half great years there. Um, so, but that, well, we developed loads of relationships, played some unbelievable matches, like especially at Christmas when all the foreign teams come with like Spartak Moscow. So he's playing teams in the Champions League, like in friendlies and things. So um, that, that was good as well as learnt, cutting my teeth in coaching. Um, but as I say, I'll come back to go to Stevenage and then coaching got put on hold for a couple of years and then obviously did the two in. Uh, number for two years then went to Crawley for two years then Loxwood which is a great experience for 18 months um, and then but while I was doing Loxwood I was also doing Brighton until the under 18s role come up and applied for it and got it and been there ever since How much difference in culture is there between Spain and England with the football or Spain and the UK because you hear lots of different stories and and what not? What what was your kind of experience or the differences in football cultures? Um, it's very technical in Spain. Um, it's a lot more slow paced, building up from the back. But in the final third, when you're attacking, it's quick. The quickness of play, you have to be sharp. One thing I actually, I'm not saying I introduced it to Spain, but one thing I got our team doing was when teams were playing out from the back, I would press like we do in England. So we got them pressing higher. Um, so when I become the player coach, because um, I, I played there for about six months before the manager got the sack and they put me in charge with a guy called Postigo. So Postigo was a head coach, but I did all the coaching on the pitch. 
um, which is a good experience in itself. And um, I got impressing really high. And the first three games he won, and everyone was buzzing. Um, and we only lost one game, which was the last game of the season. So I actually went back a few years later to watch a game, and they still did that same style. They still one of the only teams that pressed really high. But in terms of difference between us um, and them, it's just, they're technically they're all great. They train on 3G all the time. They're, so they're used to dealing with balls in tight areas and no bubbles on pitches like you get the park pitches here we growing up. So, uh, yeah, they're just technically better. Um, the one thing I would say, they they do give up easy or things don't go nowhere. They love a cry up, the Spanish. So, um, <laughs> mentally, they're not as strong as English, I don't think. Got a question in, Mark, from... Brighton season ticket holder, big Brighton fan, mate of mine, Joe Kenwood. Yep. How impressed are you with the academy setup at Brighton? And secondly, how far do you think Brighton as a club can go? Can they start pushing for European spots like Wolves and Sheffield United have done? Yeah, I, I think they can. They It was so important they stayed up this year because obviously Graham come in and he had of a lot of players who obviously are under contract from the years before. So he hasn't had the full um, summer really to get in his own players now you see that this year and you've got a lot of players coming back from loan we've got a lot of good youngsters as well coming through like we've already seen this year Aaron Connolly Stephen Alzati we've got um, Ben White who's obviously come back from Leeds who we've had since the age of 15 so um, and we've got a lot more coming through obviously I'm not going to name all their names because I don't want to put pressure on them but we have got very very good um, one a very good academy manager the best I've worked with um, and again, bringing in the right characters, coaches to bring the players through. And we've got a good good crop of coaches, a great crop of players coming through. The training grounds, one of the best in the country, if not Europe. Um, and we've got an unbelievable chairman as well. Um, and I think this year we'll see us go from like a relegation team to definitely a top, in and around the top 10, I'd, I would hope. Um, I think I've got two questions from that. Um how much contact do you have between the first team, the 20s and the 18s? Because obviously you're looking to bring youngsters through and kind of bring them into the first team. And you obviously mentioned the chairman. Um, how much contact do you have with Tony Bloom? He's got a pretty good record. Everybody seems to like him. Um, is he as likeable as he seems? Yeah. Uh, well, going to the first question, the, me and the, 23, the 18s and 23 staff, all in the same office, um, so with 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 each other all the time. The first team, our link with them, we at times train. We the boys come up um, with the first team then again, which has been great this year. Um, we got a good link up with them. Um, at times when, like for example, last year we first team were playing Man City, um, and they wanted my boys to be Man City, so I sat down with the first team staff and discussed which player was similar to Sterling, which player was similar to this. So I had to put together with them a team. Then the first team coaching staff sat down with my boys and went through a Man City presentation of how they're going to play and how we're going to play in a minute with the first team. And then my players went out and played against them. And it was just a, it's just a great experience for them, just little things like that when that never happened before with Chris Hutton. Um, so that was that's fantastic. Uh, I have to say Graham's very likeable, knowledgeable guy, um, uh, down to earth. But Billy, Billy Reid, his assistant, is our sort of go-between. And he's been brilliant as a Scottish guy. Um, you probably know Bob, but he yeah. he's 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 unbelievable. He's he's he always it shows interest. Text me every Saturday night at a game. One, can you show me the goals you did well coming over? So 
I've never had that really between the first team staff and the youth team. So um, that's a great um, link up. Because I say, us and the 23s, we're in the same office and we share everything together, daily meetings, and we know how each and every player's doing. Um, but to have that first team link up now, and obviously with Dan Ashworth, he's coming from the FA, he's just um, he, he, he's brilliant at his job and is a great go between for first team to the academy. Um, in terms of the chairman, we don't see him at all really um, unless it's either match day or um, over lockdown we've had a lot of Zoom <laughs> Zoom um, staff meetings of him but obviously he has Paul Barber who's at the training ground every day who's his um, uh, right hand man and he's the man he, and he's brilliant again obviously been work, he's worked for the FA before but um, and again just it's good recruitment policy getting the best people in to do the best job and that's why I think the club's thriving because you've got the best people in there well I think you are going to have a quite a healthy future, isn't it? Nine months undefeated, the under-18s went, Mark. Yeah, we had a good run, mate, um, from March to December. But I keep stressing, to, listen, the idea of my job is to develop players, but I also want to create a winning mentality because that's what they've got to get used to when it gets up to the 23s and 1st There's no point about me developing players, but they're losing 6-0 and they don't know how to win or to win a game. So we try to create, they get a bit of everything. Um, yeah, and we went on a hell of a run. Um, and yeah, we had nine months spell unbeaten. Yeah, it's brilliant. Going to talk about your son now, Mark. Going to talk about Sam, uh, another promising young player. I've seen that wonder go on YouTube. I think it was against Chelmsford City, wasn't it? Yes, it yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, any of our listeners, get that on YouTube. Sam Beards, Dorking Wanderers versus Chelmsford City. You'll love it. How's, how's his career been so far? And where do, where do you see him in the future? You know, how's he. Do you think he's going through the you know the correct channels, non-league, then a natural progression into the football league where he's getting a better grounding and you know it's more character building and stuff like that? Yeah, it's a it's it's a tough one because he got released at sixteen from Brighton, um, and then straight away four or five clubs like any under sixteen gets released come in for him. He actually got glandular fever. Um, he had his GCSEs coming up, and it just wasn't a good time. And we look looking back like a couple of months after, it's all the stress you're putting yourself under. So I said to him, right, at the time I just lost my job with Crawley. They've disbanded the youth set, set up there. So I set up my own youth academy with all players from Crawley, players released from Wimbledon, Aldershot. Uh, we had different players coming from all different areas. Set up an apprenticeship so he got paid and just did full-time football programme like we do. And with that, set up um, with Loxwood. Um, he played in the first team. So they, all these boys were playing first senior football at 16. He's now 21 and played over 250 games at every single level. So he's played from Surrey County to Ryman South with Dawkins, then got promoted with Dawkins. Ryman Prem then got promoted in the Conference South. And every time he stepped up the level, he's done brilliant and um, got called up to the England C squad um, in March before the Corona break. So obviously didn't get the opportunity to do that, but it just showed you how far he's come. But he's he's one that is not. Um, the be on end off he's playing professional football clubs have come and looked at him and we've and a couple of clubs have obviously shown interest but I told him all along that the most important thing is to enjoy your football he loves it Dawkins every year they're up there challenging they've got a great set of lads a great manager and they just keep winning they just have a habit of winning things and they've broken British records with 11 promotions in 19 years so and I've no doubt they'll be up there again so as long as he's enjoying it Family go watch him. He's progressing every year, um, and he's just a lovely lad. And we are proud of him about the fact that he's never let it um, 
bother him about so many players. They're just desperate to get agents, get them a move. He's been a dog in five years. He's showed he's loyal. And if a move comes, it comes. And that will be down to his hard work more than anything else. Yeah. Obviously, you're saying there, I think pan out the don't as long as he enjoys his football. How much difference is it for youngsters now than it was when you were coming through? Is it a big, well, I'm assuming it's obviously a big culture change, but is there still a big emphasis on winning, less enjoyment, more tactics? How does it work? There's a lot that goes into it now with, like, just on the under-18s alone, I've got 10 staff. So you've got analysis. I've got analysis lady, Brianna. I've got S&C staff. I've got two physios. I've got a goalkeeper coach. I've got an assistant. We've got a psych department. Um, there is psych physio. There's just so much that goes into it, that um, education, that they, it is hard work for them. From the minute they walk in at half eight to the minute they walk out at five, People, young kids think, oh, just coming and kicking a ball about they're not. So from 8.30 to 10.30, they're doing education. Then they're training. Then they've got analysis. Then they've got a psych uh, meeting, one-to-one psych meeting. Then they've got individual meeting. Then they do extras. Then they go in the gym. Then they go back and do education. And this is every day. And that's as well as playing a football match at the end of the week. So there's so much that goes into it. And what I try and tell my staff and what we try and tell the boys is, is it's just clear and simple messages. Just... Just do the right thing. Don't complicate anything. Training is as enjoyable as we can. We try and make it as realistic in training as what it is to a match. Um, we give them scenarios. We give them problems to solve themselves, which they have to do a match. We give them different formations. Um, we do a lot of unit stuff, individual stuff. Um, but the end goal for us, as I keep saying, is to produce players. So we try and give them everything within that week, as well as a games program, to um, to try and to make them help and be a professional footballer. Mark, from start to finish, you're meant to be in football, right? That, that, that's your number one sport. But you've, you've you've had a go at another sport, haven't you, Mark? You, you were in a boxing ring once upon a time. Once, loads of times, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I boxed from the age of ten. My uncle Tommy Arscott had a boxing gym, yeah, on the road in Dulwich. So I boxed from the age of ten. I had nine amateur fights, won seven, only lost two, and. Millwall made me, not didn't make me, they said to me, I come in one day with a black eye at 16. And they said, like, you can't fight if it's going to affect your football. So I stopped fighting. But when, as soon as I hung up my football boots, I went back in the ring and done an exhibition fight with Ricky Boylan, who was English champion at the time, fought for the British title twice, signed with Eddie Hearn. So I had a fight with him um, in front of 1,500 fans at the Coronet Theatre in Elephant Castle. I've done three white collars since and won all three. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna fight Ash. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks, mate. No, no, you're all right, actually. <laughs> you're probably you're probably about six weights below me, but you're you're just gonna spray me all over the ring, mate. I'm not even going near you. <laughs> no, I love I just love the um the training. It's just unbelievable. I still train probably two, three times a week boxing. Um I think it's a good fitness. And I take my boys actually training down to Scott Welch's gym in Brighton. Uh, Scott Welch, who is a British heavyweight champion, fought for the world title, and was actually in Snatch. He's in Snatch, the one who gets knocked out by Brad Pitt at the end. Yep. That's, that's, that's Scott. So we go to his gym. We're Chris Eubank trained. So um, just, just just for something different, different fitness for the boys, and they love it. Bob, was, anything, you wanna, any, anything you want to ask before we wrap the show up, buddy? I was just about to ask, like, is there things from boxing you can kind of take to football? Um. The, the training and the discipline that the boxers have, 
like the fact that they train three times a day. Footballers probably train twice a day, but just that dedication that when you're actually in the gym, how hard they work and what they expect from each other. And um, like it's brilliant because the, the trainers are different to what we are because we've always got GPS monitors and we study how hard they work and the loads they do. And sometimes it's modified. Whereas in boxing, there's none of that. You just, they work them and work them and work them. And if you quit, they batter you, the coaches. So it's really good. And it's, it's good for the boys to see like a different world and a different world outside of football. But it's a fantastic sport to, to train in. Mark, I really, really appreciate you coming on tonight, mate. Um, it's, it's a major coup for us for such a new podcast. And, you know, we're just trying to get our name out there. So thank you so much. No, no way, mate. It's been brilliant. And, and, t- and tell, telling us your story, you've been so informative. I'm sure our listeners are going to love you. Bob, as well, thank you for helping out with tonight's show and co-hosting and, you know, asking some really good questions, pal. Guys, follow us on all the available platforms, Anchor, Spotify, Google and Apple, where you can listen to this podcast once it's published. Should be within the next 24 to 48 hours, something like that. Our next show will be the American Sports Show with myself and Gav discussing the NBA. We have another special guest on next week, so look out for that on all our social media platforms. Guys, again, all the best. Enjoy the rest of your week and take care. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, Mark. Cheers, Bob. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Ash. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Speak soon, pal. I'm going to leave you with one last thing, guys. I want to thank Martin Rollo-Rose for his editing for our podcast. Without him, we wouldn't be able to get the sitting interview out and we probably won't be able to get the interview you just heard out. So, Martin, you're the man. Thank you so much. And also, I'd like to dedicate this this podcast to the victims of the Aberdeenshire train crash earlier. Thoughts go, go out to all those affected and their families. Thanks, guys.